the first thing that uh, I want to come back to is just to remind ourselves is that uh, the question that we were asking through all of these examinations of these different characters in the Bible was trying to understand what is, what is the desire of God's heart. You know, we're, we're reminded in, in the book of Acts where, where David is called a man after God's own heart. So we're asking ourselves, well, what, what does that mean? Because we certainly want to be uh, part of that uh, company of, of saints to be called people after God's own heart. Uh, and, and then likewise, uh, the, the second question that we were presented with was a question and really a, maybe a, a prompting by the Holy Spirit, I think, in Jeff's heart. And I, I think it's a good one for all of us to really take on. And it came out of his examination of, of the uh, Scripture in Ephesians, in, uh, in Ephesians 2-3 specifically, where, you know, that talks about our former state of life, that we were lost, that we were lost, we were dead in our trespasses. And uh, that we were children of wrath, it says, like the rest of mankind. And so then Jeff posed the question, a very hopefully convicting and challenging question to, to us, to our hearts, is, well, what about the rest? And so this whole series and this whole, uh, in fact, this, Jeff talked about it last week, this whole period of time going into the fall, you know, we are really trying again to take hold of, of God's heart, especially as relates to mission, as it relates to going out, as it go, relates to reaching our world, especially those who are not uh, part of the uh, body and the family of, of Christ Jesus. And so I want to start with the, uh, the scripture it comes out of the book of Genesis uh, 28, and I'm going to start at verse 10. Uh, I'm reading out of, out of the NASB. The Lord says, Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and spent the night there, because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and laid down in that place. He had a dream. And behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were descending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be also like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and all your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. This is a remarkable scripture. I don't know how many of you have had a dream like this, but it's one of the the amazing stories in, in all of the Bible that we read about, and we're, I think we're all, every time we read it, we kind of think, wow, that is just an amazing vision, an amazing dream, that the heavens themselves would open and Jacob would be able to see. Granted, it was in a dream. He, he was able to see, and he, and he somehow saw the Lord God Almighty there. And what's also uh, uh, significant here is that our Lord well, after giving him this uh, amazing vision, is that he gives him an amazing promise. This is not a new promise. This is what is referred to often as the Abrahamic promise that our Lord first gave to um, his grandfather Abraham, and which he subsequently gave to Isaac. And now, he gives it to Jacob, the grandson. But I find it fascinating 
that this scripture that we just read in 28 is preceded by the stories in chapter 27. But I'm just going to read a little bit of 27. Genesis 27, starting at verse 34. When Esau, this is Jacob's brother, heard the word of his father Isaac, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me, O my father. And he said, that is, that Isaac is responding, and he said, Your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. Then he said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Now he's taken away my blessing. It it really makes us ask the question. It says, um, why would God desire to bless such a deceitful person? We read uh, in this short, this short passage we just read, it was a summary of the two incidents that we, that we read prior to uh, chapter 28, where first, uh, in one incident, um, uh, Jacob, a lot of commentators believe that Jacob actually planned this uh, situation, where he's uh, making up some nice uh, stew, and he knows his brother Esau has gone out. He's a man with a big stomach, and he's coming in, and he tricks him into giving up his birthright. Well, the birthright in those ancient times was a big, big deal. Okay? I mean, Esau was rightly what's called the firstborn, which means that he gets everything. And, and, and Jacob will maybe get some crumbs. But the firstborn gets everything. And so what he was doing was giving away all, all, his, all that was in, in, entitled to him as the firstborn. You know, property, land, slaves, servants, whatever. And in the second instance, um, he also tricks him with his mother's cooperation to uh, deceive his blind father to take the blessing from his father Isaac that was really intended to be given to Esau, and he tricks him so that he could receive that blessing. So Jacob is not a good person. Jacob is rightly called the deceiver. He was a liar. He was a thief. And yet, our Lord God Almighty gives him this amazing vision right on the heels of this. No pun intended. I, you know, his name, by the way, I, I say that because his name also means heel, grabbing the heel, because they came out, they were twins. They came out and one was holding the heel. So on the heels of that story, we've given this great revelation to Jacob, this great promise, this reiteration of the Abrahamic promise uh, now given to Jacob. And so we've got to ask ourselves, why? And I would, I would offer you that it's because God is on a mission. He's on a mission to ultimately reveal his glory. And we will examine a few scriptures on that. But his mission began from the very beginning. See, his glory is something a lot of times people don't really understand what what we mean by glory. Glory is manifested in a lot of different ways. But, But really what it is, is it is his display, his full display of his perfections, of God's perfections. His perfections of his character, his perfections in his beauty. We can think back on the transfiguration where the Lord Jesus displayed his glory, physical glory. His beauty, his splendor was, was displayed. 
We see it in all of creation. We look around and we're in all of the mountaintops of, of the Himalayas or the Rocky Mountains or, or the depths of the sea and all that is uh, dwelling and swimming amongst the, uh, the great oceans of the world. Uh, we are in all of the celestial bodies that are revolving and how are they kept in orbit without all crashing in on themselves. We're revealed, uh, God, revealing God's glory and in, in the understanding of all the physical laws of the universe. You know, the strong and the weak forces, the gravitational forces, and all these things display God's glory. But His, his glory is also displayed in horrific things. They're displayed at the cross at, at Golgotha where we see his attributes of justice and mercy displayed perfectly at the cross, with Christ uh, on the cross. Here we'll examine a few scriptures where it talks about the Lord's intent. In the book of Numbers, this is uh, still while the Israelites are navigating the deserts before they get to the land of Canaan. And uh, the Lord says, As truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. So the Lord intends to extend his glory to every place, every far-reaching place of the world, of the earth, of the universe for that matter, uh, to extend his glory. We see it next in the book of Psalms. And this is after they're in the promised land. And uh, David and, and the subsequent psalmists are writing. It says, Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. And then finally... In a time of trial and tribulation, after the Israelite people have, uh, have gone in rebellion and, and become apostate, uh, have rebelled and, and forsaken their God as their Lord, uh, the, the prophet Habakkuk gives us this. He says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. See, the Lord desires uh, to make himself known. And this is not a prideful desire. I mean, that's not a, that would not be holy. But we got to understand that God knows himself to be the best of all things. He's the most perfect of all things. He is the uh, most benevolent of all things, the most loving of all things. And so it would be unrighteous if he were not to extend and give himself to all that he has created. And so that's what our Lord's desire is, is to give himself fully to his creation. And so he does. We talked about it manifest in the physical aspects. But beyond that, in his creation, he wanted it manifested in the crown of his creation. If we go to the next one, and that is in mankind. And I always like to draw us back to the very beginning, this verse that we read in Genesis chapter 1. I think it's 28 and 29 or 27, 28, just thereabouts, where the Lord talks about making man. And he says, let us make mankind in our own image, male and female, he created them. In his image, in his image, he made them. See, he made mankind in his image uh, to also glorify himself to the ends of the earth. And he says it, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. See, he created us in the beginning, from the very beginning, for a purpose, with a mission in mind, and that was to extend his glory. We were intended to go forth as image bearers throughout the world. We were to represent him. We were to reflect who, who he was in all places in the world. We were to reflect him and to represent him in the way that we, that we uh, create, the way that we care for one another, 
the way that we establish just and holy government, the way that we care for our environment, the way that we extend justice and mercy and grace to others. We do this in all these ways, and this was our Lord intended in the beginning. But as we all know, that that was not the way it stayed, right? So the fall came, and the Lord brought judgment on the world. And following that, after Noah, who is declared, by the way, righteous, the Lord calls him righteous. And in the aftermath, the Lord is effectively starting over with Noah and his descendants. And he says the same thing. He gives him the same mandate. He says, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And they go forth. And what do they do? They get into all kinds of trouble. We end up at the Tower of Babel. And we mess up all over again. But the Lord's purposes, his mission, will not be overcome. It will not be impeded. And this is where we enter into the Abrahamic promise. And the Lord initiates an aspect of his overarching mission, and that is to rescue what has been lost. So that he can recover what's been lost, so that he would have a people for himself to go forth as his image bearers, declaring the glory of the Lord, displaying the glory of the Lord that the end of his government will find no end, that he will have government, he will have creativity, he will have beauty, he will have justice, he will have shalom forever and ever. This is his desire. And he started this plan with uh, Abraham, and we read in Genesis 35, this was actually to Jacob. But it's very similar, it sounds very similar to the uh, mandates that he gave to Adam and to Noah. And he says again, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own. See, the Lord was calling Israel to be for him a nation of priests, a holy nation that would go out and display the character of God Almighty himself. Uh, in Isaiah 43, the Lord tells us that everyone who is called by my name Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, he wants to show his glory. He wants to display his perfections, whom I informed and made. But we all know also what happened after Abraham, after Isaac and Jacob. They too could not keep the promise. They could not live up to the law, the Mosaic law. And so we read all about it in, in the books of Samuel and the, and the kings and in the, all the historical books. And we read about their apostasy and the rejection. We think what has happened in Texas and in Ohio as being a tragedy and being a, a terrible horror. It is. But what the Israelites did over hundreds of years was... Thousands and thousands of horrors in offense against the living God. And yet our Lord did not give up on them. He never, never abandoned his purpose. He never, never abandoned his mission. Because our God is a missionary God. Our God is a rescuing God. And our God has a purpose to display his glory. He's a benevolent God that he wants to share in that glory. He wants to call a people to himself, to be his own for all of eternity, to walk with him, to, to share with him, to enjoy him forever. That is his intent. And so our Lord being the rescuing God that he is, he sends his son 
the promise of Abraham, the seed of Abraham. And our Lord comes to finish what no human could accomplish. We read here at Romans 5, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since there we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Don't those words that I highlighted sound familiar? Jacob was ungodly. Jacob was weak. Jacob was a sinner. But yet, in God's graciousness, God saved him and no longer considered him his enemy. So we have a kindred spirit with Jacob. But thanks be to God, our God didn't give up on Jacob, and God doesn't give up on us. Because he has a purpose. So then, what can we say about God's heart? I'm going to offer you four thoughts. The first item is that God is a sovereign God. And not even rebellious mankind can thwart his plans and his purposes. We see that time and again throughout the scriptures, how God uses sinful men to achieve his purposes. He did that with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I mean, we all want to hold up Abraham as as being this wonderful, almost sinless person when, in fact, he wasn't. I mean, he pretty much gave, well, he did. He gave his wife away out of fear. Jacob, we know already, we've read about him, being the liar and the deceiver and the thief that he was. That did not impede our Lord's purposes. And neither do ours. Neither do ours. This should give us great hope, great comfort. Because no matter what you and I do, if we are in Christ Jesus, he is going to work out his plan. You know, no matter what we hear about going on in in Texas, as horrific as that is, our Lord is sovereign over that situation. And our Lord, I don't really understand why things like this happen. I mean, I I can give you the, the, you know, theological right answer, but I guess I don't really know in my heart of hearts. But I do know this. I do know that he is sovereign. I do know that when Jesus Christ went to the cross on on Calvary, that he was sovereign over every situation that occurred up to that point. And he knew he had a purpose, and that was to raise Jesus Christ from the dead for our sake, for his great purposes, that he would call a people to himself, that he would redeem a people to himself, that they would be his, and they they would display his glory, that they would share his glory. Yes, he is sovereign, and that should give us great hope. God is also merciful, as we see in this story. 
God had every reason to condemn Jacob. He would have been righteous to condemn and judge Jacob as he would be righteous in judging us and condemning us. But our God is merciful. He desires no one to perish. And so this should grab hold of our hearts, loved ones. This should grab hold of our hearts. This season, it seems like it's every season, but especially as we're running up to, you know, elections and things like that, is poison in my mind. And it poisons, in a little way, our hearts and our minds. It hardens us. Somehow, that shooter in El Paso, that shooter in Dayton, became so hardened that those people were nothing more than objects. And if we are honest with ourselves, we can do the same thing. Perhaps we don't lift up an AK-47 or whatever arm he used. I don't know what he used. Maybe we won't go that far. But we can objectify people. And we can think that they are less worthy of God's mercy than we are. We can be angry at those people. We maybe not want to engage them or talk to them. Maybe there's a boss at work that is really, really controlling. Really, really mean. Really unattentive to your needs or your concerns. And in your heart, you want to despise him or her. But our Lord has mercy on that person. Or perhaps there's some people that live nearby you and they look different than you. They live differently than you. They don't tend to their yards the same way as you. They bring down the property values of, of our homes. And we resent them. Our Lord doesn't resent them. Our Lord is a merciful God. So he is calling us to be agents of mercy. I will confess, I share all of that. I share all of that, what I described. That is not our Lord's heart. That is not the heart of the one that we claim to love. And we ought to repent of that. The third thing I would offer you is that our God is a promise keeper. This promise that he made to Jacob was because of the promise, the great promise that he made to his grandfather. It was nothing that Jacob did that was worthy of that promise. But it's because God is a faithful, trustworthy promise keeper. And he promised Jacob that he would bless him in the same way he blessed his father and his grandfather. And he promises you and I that if we trust in the atoning sacrifice of his son, our Lord Jesus, he promises you that you will never be forsaken. You will never be alone. 
and that you will share eternal glory with him. This is your living hope because he's a promise keeper. And so we should not fret over, if we are in Christ, we should not fret over the sin of the day. We should not run to shame. We should not keep away from this place of grace. We should not keep away from the table of grace because of some besetting sin that you wrestle wrestle with day in and day out. Brothers and sisters, all of us probably struggle with besetting sins. There is no one alone here that doesn't. We just have different ones. But that is why our Lord Jesus died for you and I, is to set us free and to reassure us that we are in him, that we have new identities in him. And we're going to talk about that more as we move along in Jacob. But our God is promising you in his son because of what his son did for you and I that you are right with him, that you are no longer his enemy, that you have been adopted. You are his son, his daughter, and he will never, never abandon you, never stop loving you. And lastly, I offer you that our Lord is a missionary God, that at the beginning, he had a purpose in the beginning, he has a purpose in the end, He wants to share himself with us, with the people that want to love him and trust him and submit and surrender to him. He is a missionary God. And so he's calling us to go forth. The church often thinks that mission is something we add to what the church life is all about. We do fellowship really, really well. We have great potlucks. We gather on Sunday. We even have great worship. And maybe we'll do this extra thing called mission. You see, it shouldn't be thought of as the church has a mission, but rather God has a mission and God has a church to participate in that mission. See, just as much as we have really no option to be part of the church, the body of Christ, if we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, it's just intrinsic to being a believer in Jesus Christ. The only question is whether you participate in the life of the body of Christ. Equally true is the fact that it is intrinsic to the fact that there is a body of Christ, that there is the church, that we have a mission, we have a purpose to go out with a merciful heart, trusting in God's sovereignty, trusting in God's promises, and thinking about the rest, the rest of mankind. This world is so dark right now, guys, in areas of this world, and I'll reiterate again what happened this weekend. This world is desperately crying out for light. And if we aren't going to give that light, then who is going to give that light to them? Who is going to tell them? Who is going to declare to them the answers to their questions? Who is going to give them the hope that they need? They can keep searching for answers in all the wrong places, but we have the answer. Are we going to take hold of our Lord's heart 
his heart for the rest. 